our scripture this morning. We are staying in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. In particular, we want to look at the words, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, as I was preparing this message this week, uh, of course, all of you who are in Christ know very well that the message of grace and peace is like a fire hose that God showers upon us. Uh, the message of grace and peace is the message of the gospel itself. It's what Jesus came to do, is to show us the grace of God and to give us peace. And so we're just going to read four texts that kind of hint at the magnitude of this grace and peace. And then in my message, what I want to try and convey more than anything else is just the magnitude of this grace and peace. And of course, it's something where I know that words will certainly fall short because words themselves cannot contain the magnitude of the grace and peace of God. And so I also pray that the Holy Spirit would just uh, preach a better message to your heart this morning than I myself am able to deliver with my words. Uh, and so we'll be reading First Peter 1, 1 and 2. Uh, Kathy will read that for us. And then Pat will come up and read for us from Colossians 1, 15 to 22 that tells us about how the peace of God came to us. Don will come and read for us from Romans 5, verses 1 and 2 that describe more precisely how the grace of God works for us. And then lastly, Jen will come up and read for us and read Titus 2, 11, 14 that tells us that the grace of God has appeared and what that grace of God does. And so, Kathy, if you'd like to come up now and begin our readings from God's Word. Reading is from 1 Peter 1-2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadonia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Colossians 1, 15-22 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above, above reproach before him. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace through God, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. This is <clears throat> Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the gospel, I mean, of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Well, beloved, it's truly the the privilege of my life to be able to proclaim the grace and the peace of God. The grace and the peace of God, as I said, is exactly what Jesus Christ himself came to do on the earth, is to bring about God's grace and God's peace to us. If you're here this morning and you aren't a believer, then I hope you come to see how glorious this message of grace is, how glorious this offer of peace is, how being a Christian is not mainly a matter of measuring up to a certain standard or living in a certain way, but it's mainly about receiving overwhelming amounts of grace and peace from God. And if you're a believer and you're here this morning, then I hope you can be refreshed and restored in this grace and peace. After all, the gospel is such good news of grace and peace that it's only natural that over time we grow skeptical of it. We grow skeptical about how great God's grace can really be as our sensitivities get more attuned to the world standards and less attuned to God's standards, we start to downplay God's grace, thinking it really cannot be as magnificent as God says it is. And so my hope is that this message also raises your sights again to remember just how amazing God's grace truly is, how awed we should be by the level of grace that God brought about through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you get a clear sight, that you can behold God's grace and peace for us this morning. And realize, just first of all, right off the bat, that the grace and the peace that I'm speaking of is grace and peace that comes from God. The the message that I deliver this morning is not man's message. This isn't just something I think about God. This isn't just like some TED talk, like some hypothesis I have about some way that God might be. No, the fact that God is presently pouring out grace and peace on the earth is a fact thoroughly established. It's been established in my own heart. I myself have come to taste and see the grace and peace of God It is a fact that has been amply demonstrated throughout history. From the very beginning, we know that there was a man named Jesus Christ, that he was crucified by the Romans, and that he rose again from the dead. And that is the very basis of God's grace and peace that is now being poured out. And it is grace and peace that millions around the world can testify to as they themselves have experienced the grace of God in their lives. And so what I speak to you now is not about something that you must do. It's not about something that I think God might do. Rather, it's something that God has promised to do by his word that he is offering to you right now. Even as you sit here, God wants to deliver to you his grace and peace. And he wants to bring his grace and his peace all over this earth. And so God is offering this morning right here his grace and his peace to anyone who would receive it. And so Peter here offers this morning 
this, this blessing of multiplying grace and peace. Notice there in verse 2, his main greeting to the people that he's writing to, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So just notice right off the bat there that he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, or may it be made abundant to you. We all know who have had a few years of math how quickly things can build when they are multiplied, right? Compared to how slowly they build when they are simply added together. The Apostle Peter here is asking for grace and peace to be multiplied to us, to overflow to us, to grow exponentially. The Apostle Peter knows, just as we looked at last week, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and can never overflow enough, can never outgive himself. And so the message of grace and peace that the Apostle Peter wishes for us to know is a message that knows no bounds, that has no upper limit. The grace and peace of God can always be multiplied multiplied more and more and more. Indeed, that is what we will all discover when we reach our heavenly home and are with God for all eternity. That time will never grow boring or stale, just waiting for God to maybe develop something new to show to us. No, it will be multiplied every day because God's grace and peace can never be exhausted. And so this message of grace and peace is a message that God wishes to multiply to your hearts, that he wishes to multiply in the city of Pittsburgh, and then he wishes to multiply to the very ends of the earth. Now, what is this announcement of grace and peace, this offer of grace and peace? Well, first of all, let's look at that word grace. Grace simply means undeserved favor. That's what God is promising when he says that he is offering grace. He is offering his favor. He is offering his love, his kindness, his power to us in a totally undeserved way. Not because of anything that we do, but simply because of who he is, because he desires to offer it. That's what grace is. That's what grace means. And in Scripture, we see that the pinnacle of God's grace is salvation. The utmost of grace that God pours out on people is to save them. Save them from his ultimate wrath, which is destruction, but also save them from the present power of sin and even save them from the futility and pain that we know here on the earth right now. Just think of the message of the angels at Christmas on that night when Jesus was born. What did the angels come and tell the shepherds? They said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, someone who will rescue you, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then it says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Beloved, this is what Jesus came to bring about He came to bring about an era of grace, an era of peace, where that is all that God would pour out on mankind. This is the message of Christianity, that an era of grace, an era of forgiveness, an era of peace has come so that we can now come to know God. 
Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. In the New Testament, he is called the Grace of God. And so he has come in order that we might now proclaim a message of grace and peace. Think of it as if there were some great king with a great army and there were some town that had rebelled against this great king that had betrayed him and had served some other ruler who was trying to depose the king. And this king wins a great victory and has this great army. And so everybody now in this town is afraid that because they betrayed the king, the king is going to come and destroy them. And they are all living in fear of what this king will do to him because they know how evil their actions were. But then imagine that instead of this king coming with his great army to wipe this town out, instead he sends a messenger. And when the messenger comes into this town, this is what he proclaims. He proclaims grace and peace. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The king comes in grace and peace. Beloved, this is what God has done in Jesus Christ. We were all rebels against God. We all deserved only his wrath. But instead, God sent this messenger, Jesus Christ. And instead of Jesus Christ saying, God is coming and he is going to destroy you, Jesus comes and his message is grace and peace be multiplied to you. Beloved, does it not boggle the mind how God would offer us grace and peace? Many, if not most people in the world, have the completely wrong impression of Christianity and what it is. Most people think of Christianity, our our faith system, they think of it as just one more moral, ethical system to line up next to Judaism or Confucianism or Islam or Stoicism or Buddhism or all these other religions that just kind of tell you how to live, tell you how you can work your way into a good state of mind or into a good relationship with God or to enlightenment or whatever their ultimate destination is. They give you a long list of things saying, here, if you do all of these things, then you will finally know peace. Then you will finally know salvation. Then you will finally know whatever it is that you were created for. And yet here, the message of Christianity is exactly those things flipped on their heads. The message of the gospel is not a message of do, do, do. If you can jump through this hoop and this hoop and this hoop, then you will find salvation. Then you will find enlightenment. No, the message of the gospel is the message of all the hoops that God himself jumped through in order to come to earth, in order to die, in order to rise again, in order that we might be saved by faith alone, by simply receiving this glorious work that God has done on our behalf. This is the essence of Christianity. It's not a list of rules. It's not things we do. In fact, Scripture tells us that anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. That means that we could try and follow all the rules. We could try and do everything just right. But if we have not first received the grace of God in faith, if we have not first seen how good God is in sending his son, then all those works of goodness that we try to do are actually sin. Because we're not doing them in faith. We're not doing them out of a heart of love and gratitude for God receiving what he has done for us. And so you see that the message of Christianity, the message of the cross, is the exact opposite of some just ethical system of how we live. No, it is an announcement of what God has already done through Jesus Christ, something that we can simply receive. And when we receive it, yes, our lives are changed, we live in a whole new way. 
But we don't live in a whole new way because of something that we really work on and that we really work at. We live in a whole new way because the grace of God has transformed us. Because of something that God has done. Not something that we ourselves can do. And so every other religion, every other philosophy will tell you all the different things you have to do to reach some wonderful final destination. And only in the gospel, only in this book right here, do we find the message that it can be received by faith. That it doesn't matter upon your performance, upon what you can do. It's something that God has already done, that you yourself can be a recipient of by free grace. I read this week a beautiful 12-fold description of the grace of God in salvation. It was in Dane Ortland's book, Deeper. And I just want to list out these 12 things for you so that you can just see the heights of the salvation that God offers to us in Jesus Christ. This is the, the depths of grace that God has poured out. God offers us justification. That's the the law court metaphor. We are no longer condemned. We have been forgiven. He offers us sanctification. That's the religious metaphor. We're no longer defiled. We're no longer unclean. We have been washed clean. He offers us adoption. That's the familial metaphor. We're no longer orphaned. Rather, we have become part of the family of God. He offers us reconciliation. That's the relational metaphor. We're no longer estranged. We're no longer aliens. Rather, we can come into perfect relationship with God. He offers us washing. That's the physical cleansing metaphor. We're no longer dirty. We're no longer filthy. We have been made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. He offers us redemption. That's the slave market metaphor. We're no longer enslaved. We have been liberated from our slavery by Jesus Christ. We have been purchased. That's the financial metaphor. We are no longer in debt. Jesus has paid all of our debts so that our account now overflows in wealth. Jesus has offered us liberation. That's the captivity metaphor. We're no longer imprisoned. We're no longer in the dungeon of darkness, of the of the demons that control this world. Rather, we have been liberated into the kingdom of God. So we are no longer captives. We have been given new birth. That's the the physical generation metaphor. We are no longer non-existent, just waiting to be in the world. Rather, we have already been brought forth by Jesus Christ into newness of life. Illumination, that's the light metaphor. We're no longer blind. We're not living in darkness anymore. But by His grace, God has given us light to see. And then finally, resurrection. That's the the bodily metaphor. We're no longer dead. We have been lifted up out of death into newness of life. Beloved, this is just a very short summary of the salvation that Jesus Christ has won for us, of the grace of God that has come to us. There is no part of our lives that cannot be restored, that cannot benefit from the grace of God that has appeared in Jesus Christ. To know the grace of God in Jesus Christ is to know complete healing, is to know complete wholeness, is to know complete life. 
There is no aspect of our existence that God has not taken into mind when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And so whatever you may be struggling with, whatever sort of physical or emotional or psychological or relational or whatever struggle it is that you have, when you find salvation in Jesus Christ, God offers healing for those things. Now, it's not always instantaneous like it happens in a moment. But it is where healing is found, and it will happen as you continually receive the grace of God poured out in Jesus Christ. Now, I know the main objection to this way of thinking, and it's an objection that is in all of our hearts, and to some degree, this is rightfully so an objection. The objection that we have to God's grace being poured out with this kind of liberality, with this kind of abundance, is the knowledge that we all have ingrained in our hearts that God really does care about our actions, and that He really is a holy judge. And so we often think, well, because we know God is a holy judge and because we know that he cares about our actions, it cannot possibly be that he would pour out that much grace on me. Because we all know that we are defiled. We all know our sins very deeply. Romans 1 tells us that all humans know, deep in our bones, that God is judge and that we will have to give an account to him. And so if that is true of God, if he is this holy judge, then how can our message, the message of our faith, be a message of sheer grace and peace? Are we saying that God doesn't care about our actions anymore or that he's just not going to be a judge? Well, beloved, this is the wonder of the gospel message. This is the wonder of the message of the cross. It does not deny what we all know to be true in our hearts. It does not deny the fact that God is a holy judge and that he cares about our actions. But nevertheless, through the cross, it shows us a way that God can be a holy judge, that he can care about our actions, and yet at the same time, he can pour out infinite grace and peace. Because the gospel message tells us that God himself came in the form of a man and that though he was sinless and did nothing wrong, that he nevertheless was crushed in order to absorb all the wrath of God in dying for us. And so God's just judgment did fall. God is a holy judge, but his holy judgment fell on Jesus Christ. And so that means that for us, beloved, there is nothing but grace and peace. There is no more enmity or hatred. Rage and wrath were unleashed on Jesus precisely so that grace and peace could be unleashed upon us. To the same degree that Jesus was willing to bear the wrath of God, to that degree, we get to receive the undiluted grace of God. Now, to be clear, this grace and peace is not for all mankind indiscriminately. A person does have to receive it. They have to actually want the grace and peace of God if they are going to get it. They have to accept the gift of God's grace and peace. But God makes very clear that there is no cost for this gift. There is no price that has to be paid. It is a free gift that is offered. And the only thing that can actually prevent you from receiving this gift is your pride, is your unwillingness to admit that you need a free gift and that you cannot pay. And so to all who will receive this free gift, 
God gives them the right to become children of God, as it says in John 1. To all who would simply admit that they need God's help, that they need God's salvation, that they have messed up their own lives and they need someone from outside to move in. To anyone who will pray to God in that way, God's grace and peace will indeed flood your soul. And the wrath and the judgment of God will be gone forever. Now, this message of grace and peace does not only apply within the context of a God who does have a list of certain demands and who is a holy judge. The reality is that all of humanity lives by way of law one way or another. Maybe the law that they live by is a law of self-improvement. For example, they really think that bodily health is going to be what makes them most happy. Well, every day when I'm on the internet, I see these links for five foods you have to eat for health, or five things to do every day to improve your health, or ten things that will make sure you live to age 90, or all of these things. And so these people who live in order to live a long time and to be healthy, thinking that they will find happiness, they're living by law. You're saying, I have to do these five things and eat these five foods and do all these exercises, and only after that can I possibly be happy and receive bodily health. Or maybe it is some other philosophy or religion. People in Buddhism believe that if they want to reach enlightenment, then they must meditate and meditate and meditate, and only after they've meditated a certain amount of time could they even hope to possibly reach enlightenment. So when they're living by law, there's things that they have to do in order to attain their final vision of the good life. Or there's many people in America that take their job as what defines happiness for them, as what defines success for them. And if your job is what defines happiness or what defines success in your life, then again, you will live by law because your job will always have more things for you to do. You will always be able to improve your performance in one way or another, make your boss more happy, move up higher in your company. And you will think that until I get to that end position, until I get to this income I want, until I get this respect that I need, then I cannot possibly be happy. And so you live by law. And so every human being on earth has some sort of law that they want to live by, something that they think is under their control, that if only they can perform these things, then they will finally be happy. Then they will finally arrive. And so this message of grace cuts underneath every message of law that could be given saying that there is nothing, there is nothing that you can do, nothing that you have within your own power to find ultimate happiness, to find ultimate respect, to find ultimate success, that you are fundamentally incapable and unable to attain your own salvation. And the only way that you can attain salvation, the only way you can attain perfect happiness, perfect peace, perfect relationships, the only way you can attain any of these things is if they are given to you by God, if they are poured out by free grace. And so... For anyone here who's striving after anything, thinking if only they can jump through this hoop or that hoop, then finally they will have the life they have always wanted, 
Let me just encourage you this morning to abandon that pursuit and instead see that your happiness can only be found in Jesus Christ. Your satisfaction can only ever be found in Jesus Christ. You were created to know God. And the only way you will ever be happy is when you know God. And the only way you can come to know God is if God himself reveals himself to you by grace. Not because you've done enough good things. Not because you've suddenly knocked on heaven's door enough that God is finally willing to open. No, you must look to Jesus Christ who died, who rose again so that you might know God. And if you will receive the work of Jesus Christ by faith, then you will know God. And then, when you know God, you will know what you were created for. You will know that happiness, that peace, that joy, that wholeness that you have looked for through law after law after law, rule after rule after rule, habit after habit after habit, and you will find that it has been flooded into your soul by the grace of God. And in this way, we can see how the grace of God actually leads to the peace of God. When we receive the grace of God, when we realize that God himself, the God of the universe, comes to us by grace alone, and that it is God alone who satisfies our soul, well, beloved, then we can have ultimate peace. Because we know that the most precious thing, the best thing in all of existence, cannot be taken away from us. Because it has come to us by grace and not by our own deserving. We know that no longer is there any threat of judgment from God. No longer do we have to keep in the rat race of employment, always trying to do better and better in our job. No longer do we have to try and meditate long enough or exercise enough. No longer do we have to do any of these things in order to attain the good life. Rather, we can receive what we were always made for by grace through faith. And because God is so good, because he is the greatest delight to our souls, that means that a hundred things could fall apart in our lives and we would still know peace. One question I often ask myself when I find my soul worrying about something When I think, oh, what if this bad thing happens and I lose all my money? What if this bad thing happens and I lose my family? As I ask myself the question, if I lost those things, would I lose God? If I lost all my money, would I lose God? No. God doesn't care about how much money I make, about what I have in the bank. If I lost my family, would I lose God? No. God isn't mine simply because I have a certain wife and certain children. He's mine by grace. And so whatever your fear or your anxiety may be, ask yourself this question. If I were to lose this thing, would I lose God? Even in the face of sins that you have committed, that you are worried, you are afraid, maybe this sin has separated me from God. Ask yourself, how has God come to me? Has he come to me because I have been good enough? Because I have performed all these works? The answer is no, beloved. God has not made himself known to you because you have done enough right things. He's made himself known to you by grace alone. 
And so even our sins, though we should hate them and though we should push them as far away from us as we can, even our sins should not steal our peace because we know that God's grace is more powerful, more overwhelming than even the darkest sin that we can commit. And so, beloved, you see that when we have been made right with God, when we have been shown grace and been allowed to come to God, because we no longer have to climb some ladder to meaningfulness or joy or satisfaction, because all of these things have been freely given to us in Jesus Christ, therefore, we can know peace. And, beloved, this peace of God not only is a result of finding our identity in God, but it's also a result after finding our identity of God of seeing how it affects everything else. So often in life, we pursue a hundred different little distractions just because we realize that we have some kind of nervous energy. There's some kind of anxiety in our soul, some type of fear that we don't want to face. And so what do we do? Well, we turn on the TV all hours of the day. We find something to fill our attention constantly because there's something within us that we're trying to bury. And so our lives constantly feel frazzled and scatterbrained and zapped of energy because we're constantly going after distraction or distraction because we cannot bear the idea of just being still in a quiet place. Well, beloved, part of the beauty of the peace of God, again, when you know that you've come to God by grace alone and He is yours and whatever you might lose that you would still have God, when you can come to that place, then suddenly you don't have to fear whatever that inner anxiety is that you have that causes you to go after these 101 distractions. You don't have to always have some noise in the background to drown out your worries, to drown out your insecurities. Because, beloved, you have been accepted by grace, by God. And so if you have been accepted by God, all of grace, not because of your own doing, then guess what? You can rest. You can relax. You don't always have to have noise going on. You don't always have to drown out the fears of your heart. Rather, you can answer the fears of your heart saying, I have a Savior who died for me, who rose again, who brings me to God by grace alone. And therefore, I am not afraid. I don't live a life constantly searching after this or that to quiet my fears, to satisfy my soul. No. When I get the peace of God, I am at peace indeed. This is the gift of the peace of God. Yet just to, to heighten the, the wonder, how amazing this grace and peace is, one thing that's amazing about the grace and peace of God is that, it, is that it's not even just for individuals. It's not even something just to be applied to my own heart in my own situation, even though, as I just proclaimed, it does apply to our own hearts in every situation. This grace goes beyond simply us. This grace first creates a church. It creates a new family. When we all together come to believe and to receive this grace of God, we want to gather with one another to celebrate this wonderful thing that we have all received together. And so it gives us a new family. And then beyond that, it even gives us a mission because Scripture tells us that the grace of God needs to be proclaimed to the very ends of the earth. 
And so this grace of God is for all peoples everywhere. And this is indeed a new era of grace that God is pouring out. There was a time in the very beginning of human history, in the days of Noah, when God flooded the earth in judgment. But what God aims to do right now through Jesus Christ is to do the exact opposite, to flood the earth with grace and with peace. God wants to flood this whole world with grace and mercy. He says in Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Beloved, there is no person you know that God does not have grace for, that he does not want to show his grace to. And today is the day of salvation. As the Apostle Paul puts it, the epic of human history that we are now living in is the epic of grace being poured out through Jesus Christ. One amazing picture of God's grace and peace is given to us by the prophet Ezekiel in the days before grace and peace were poured out. He envisions a temple, the place of God's presence. And to apply it to our context today, he is thinking of the church, the people of God. When we gather as living stones, God's presence is in our midst. And this is what Ezekiel saw coming forth from the temple. It says, Then he, that is an angel of the Lord, brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east, and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Beloved, have you seen this grace of God going forth today? That he longs for the level of the knowledge of him, for the level of his grace to rise all over the earth so that it becomes so deep, so that it is a river that cannot be passed through. This is the work that God is doing right now by his Holy Spirit in proclaiming his grace to all nations and all peoples. There is not any people excluded from the grace of God. There is not any sin so great that God's mercy cannot overwhelm it. There is not any past so dark that this flood cannot bury it underneath the ocean of this mercy. The grace of God is powerful, beloved, in its going forth. And because God wants his grace to go forth through all the world, God also means for his peace to go forth through all the world. We heard a message just a couple weeks ago from Ryan on the peace of God. So this might overlap a little bit, but I think God just wants to remind us of this truth again. Peter was a Jewish background believer. And so when he said here the peace of God, he was undoubtedly thinking of that word shalom. 
Again, shalom is that concept of peace taken from the Hebrew Bible that is talking about much more than just the absence of conflict. Much more than just people not arguing with each other. Yes, that is part of shalom, but shalom actually means that everything is in its right place, that everything is flourishing, that there is nothing that is out of order. There is no trouble that is brewing. Everything is prosperous. Everything is pristine. This is shalom. This is the grace of God that accompanies, this is, sorry, this is the peace of God that accompanies the grace of God. Maybe think of that city of the elves in the Lord of the Rings where it's just kind of shining and everything looks beautiful and wonderful. This is an image of shalom. Shalom is a complete peace and wholeness of body and soul and mind and indeed all of society. It's everything ordered just the way it was meant to be. Robert Layton, an 18th century commentator on 1 Peter, says, This blessing of peace was of so large a sense as to comprehend all that they could desire. When they wished peace, they meant all kind of good, all welfare and prosperity. Beloved, when God's grace comes into our lives, he brings peace to all of our lives. When God's grace comes into a church, he brings peace throughout that church, shalom throughout that church. When God's grace comes to a nation, it brings shalom throughout the nation. And ultimately, one day, when God's grace comes to the whole earth, then shalom will come upon the whole earth, and it will be called the new heavens and the new earth, and everything will be made right. So, beloved, do you see why Peter would use just these two words, grace and peace, be multiplied to you? Grace is the foundation of all of God's actions towards us. It tells us that all of his actions towards us are simply out of his generosity, out of his loving kindness, not out of our deserving. And then peace is the end of all God's action towards us. It is what God is accomplishing by his grace. He is bringing about perfect peace. And God does desire to bless us in innumerable ways. But the greatest peace that God does desire to give is the peace with God that gives life to our soul, that eases our consciences, that lets us sleep at night, and that lets us ourselves become conveyors of grace and peace to others. Regardless of what sort of outer turmoil we may be facing, regardless of what sort of challenge we may be going through, we can know the peace of God because we have peace with God by the grace of God. Just imagine, beloved, a father who has been totally saturated by the grace of God upon him and the peace of God in his soul. In his family, he will create a household that is just abounding in grace and abounding in peace. Because he himself is so thankful for the grace that God has shown him and he is so full of peace, he will not be quick to anger, to snap at his children. He will not get upset at his wife over every little word that he dislikes. No, he has been shown grace and so he will be full of grace. His children will enjoy the grace that he experiences and consequently that home will have peace. Again, just consider if in our church we could all together be so amazed by the grace of God that has been poured out on us. We would be so full of grace to one another. 
The peace of God would then come to our church. We would experience shalom as a church because we all were so amazed and enthralled with the grace of God that has been poured out to us. This is why in John 17, Jesus says that it is the unity of his church that will show the world that Jesus truly is the Messiah. Because if we here can experience the grace and peace of God in fullest measure, and if we can bring it to its full exhibition as a people of God, then the world will see just how good this grace of God is, just how wonderful this peace of God is. And again, we pray the same thing for our nation. We pray the same thing for the very ends of the earth that everyone everywhere would know the grace of God that leads to the peace of God. In closing, beloved, I just plead with you to receive this grace of God. Receive it, beloved. It is a gift. It is something that you can only receive by faith. My message to you this morning is not any kind of five-step program, 10-step program, 20 things you need to do. The message is to believe. The message is to receive freely. The offer of grace and peace is extended to all right now, but you must receive it. And in order to receive it, all you really need is to believe that you actually need it. Isaiah has this beautiful invitation to the grace of God in Isaiah 55, verse 1. He says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Beloved, this is the offer of God's grace. You don't need money. There is no price to it. You come to the waters simply if you're thirsty. And so do you want this grace of God? Well, then do this first. Just admit that you are thirsty. Admit that you have not been able to attain happiness, to attain satisfaction in your own strength, in and of yourself, and that you need God. You have not been able to attain righteousness. You have not been able to attain right relationships. You have not been able to attain anything in your own will, in your own mindset, and you need God. You are thirsty. And so, beloved, if you will this morning, set yourself before God and say, Lord, I am thirsty. I cannot do it on my own. I have failed a million times, but I know your grace is sufficient for me. If you will say this morning, God, I have no money. (laughs) I, I am not able to meet any price. If you charged me a penny for your grace, I could not pay a penny. Because that is the nature of our fallenness, beloved. That is the nature of our sinfulness. We cannot even do one right thing apart from God. And so again, if you will simply confess that this morning, that you are penniless, you are bankrupt, you are thirsty, if you will come to God as a beggar this morning, then God will be eager to pour out his grace and his peace upon you. Oh, beloved, how good God is. How rich in grace he is to all who believe. Beloved, let us revel together this morning in the generosity of God, in the grace of God, and in the peace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Would you join me in prayer now as we pray prayers of confession for the faults of ourselves and as we pray prayers of intercession for our church and for this world? Heavenly Father, I know that not enough can be said about your grace and about the peace, the shalom that you desire to bring to this earth. And so, God, all I can see fit to pray right now is to say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, bring your grace. Bring your peace to us. We are a penniless people. We are a thirsty people. And we need you, Lord, to reign upon us. Would you hear our prayers of confession and intercession now, God.